Hey everyone, it's Heather from the Be Well team, welcoming you to the Be Well podcast. Be Well is designed to address your health and well-being in mind, body, and spirit. We hope this podcast encourages moments of personal reflection, inspires you to act on what moves you and calls you to live your best life. So welcome and let's dive into today's episode. We all know what it feels like to be uncertain about the world around us and what tomorrow might bring. We're going through a global pandemic like none other in our lifetime, and the world has completely flipped upside down. It's been challenging to remain hopeful, peaceful, and joyful in the midst of the chaotic climate. And as we enter into a season of reflection, as 2021 comes to a close and we begin a new year, we've asked Joe Gage, our Chief Human Resource Officer, to share about his own experiences of uncertainty and how he's been able to cultivate and sustain joy. So without further ado, welcome to the Be Well podcast, Joe. Thank you, Heather. It's good to get to spend some time with you today. I think a lot of us uh, come into the end of this year just exhausted from long stretch of very hard work. I'm really mindful of a lot of our frontline caregivers who have just been at this for a long time and who have faithfully served our communities and, and uh, sometimes to the detriment of their own health. Uh, or the health of their families. And there's a verse in Galatians where uh, Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so uh, there's a little prayer that I that goes with this. Father, may I not become weary in doing good, but rather work diligently, energetically, enthusiastically, keeping in mind the rich harvest that you will send at the proper time. Don't ever let me give up in doing good or to give up on your promise that you will bring the harvest. And God, please don't give up on me. Amen. Amen. I love that. Thank you. We can easily get caught up in how hard things are um, when you're sowing seeds and you know, you're tending to the fields, but knowing that there is a, a harvest at the end of it that big reward can be helpful to kind of keep our gaze on to make us or to help us just sustain through the hard times. So that's, that's a great reflection. Absolutely. So Joe, tell us a little bit about your role and how it's been the past 20 months of the pandemic and unrest in the world in so many different ways. So I, I remember um, we went quickly through a series of, of uh, phases at the beginning of the pandemic where um, we first started imagining what would this be like if it happened? And then before we knew it, we were in incident command where the leadership team was together a couple of times a day actually planning for what would happen. And then we found ourselves at home, right? Uh, isolated from one another entirely having less than three or four days uh, to move about 6,000 associates into a uh, work from home setting while our other 54,000 associates began dealing with the onslaught of a pandemic that we really didn't have any idea of what that was gonna be like. Mm -hmm. And so we began doing scenario planning around um, what will the impact be on our, uh, our own associates? Uh, how many of, will they be safe? Will they be healthy? How many of them will be ill? What do we need to do to take care of them? Um, and as the pandemic has matured, those questions have changed. Like, how can we care for 
uh, our fatigue and now really traumatized caregivers. How do we make sure that we have enough staff to continue to take care of the communities that we serve? Um, how will we ever turn the corner on this or what will the new normal ever be like? Um, and what is normal now anymore? Um, and I experienced this personally, like a lot of people have, right? Uh, there, there is, is, a, is a mask a political statement or is it personal protective equipment? Um, uh, am I um, socially uh, inappropriate if I, if, I mask in pub, if I mask with my friends or, or am I considerate uh, of others? Um, what, so what are the new normals in our personal relationships? What are the new normals in our work relationships? So uh, and so I've had to, uh, so I've experienced this both as a, as an individual and as a leader in healthcare organization. I used to, um, uh, I, one of my, uh, colleagues said the other day, he said, I don't know, Joe, my crystal ball is just broken. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to come next. And, uh, life is just more like that now where we really don't know what challenges are going to come at the ministry. We don't know if the next wave that's coming after Delta variant is going to be just as significant or if we're going to be able to weather it more sustainably. So mm -hmm. it's become, um, the world has become uh, more difficult to navigate and more uncertain. And it's shaken some of those foundational things that you love. We were always a together team. We were, we were never apart. And for 20 months now, we've been virtually always apart. Uh, so it's brought changes uh, and uncertainties, I think on a number of different levels that that I've had to adapt to personally, um, and that I've had to try to figure out, okay, what's best for our people and for the ministry uh, in, in this time as well. Yeah, it's been pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> that's for sure. Oh. I think just, you know, as life has thrown so many curveballs at us, it's, it's just hard to know how to navigate and how to move forward. And it is incredibly uncomfortable and quite honestly, traumatic at times and learning and trying to figure out how you're supposed to pick up the pieces and grow within the discomfort and the traumatic events, I think is, has been a huge challenge for, like you're saying, you know, each one of us personally, but also each one of us professionally. And Heather, I think it's different too. Um, I, one of the defining experiences of my generation was, uh, 9-11. In fact, I was I was in an airline. I was a, an HR leader in, in an airline during September 11th. Um, and 9-11 was traumatic and it affected a lot of people in a lot of ways. But uh, there's something qualitatively different about the defining experience of the pandemic that we're going through together now. It's much more personal. It's much more socially disruptive, you know, and it, it, uh, it's impacted us not, you know, the, the lasting impacts, I think, are redefining our social norms, our work norms, in a way that 9-11 didn't. 9-11 just made it a, a pain to fly domestically, <laughs> or to fly internationally, right? Um, yeah. You know, th that's, that's the primary lasting effect of it. Um, so this, this has a much more sustainingly personal and deep um, impact that I think is, is, is it's, it's going to be hard for us to estimate the impact of that, I think, on, on people long-term and, and to help people um, adjust to it as mm -hmm. we as we continue to, to manage our way through this. Yeah, it's like the uncertainty of 9-11 was, um, the impact of it was broader and the impact of COVID and that uncertainty that it's brought is so much more minute in 
all aspects of life. It's kind of weaseled its way into every decision that we make. And so, yeah, geez, it's a lot, but how do you feel like your response to all of this uncertainty has shaped how you're influenced to, um, make some decisions within the ministry? One of my, one of my leaders said, uh, you know, mentors said never waste a good crisis. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, um, one of the things that I've learned, I've learned is to look at crisis and situations as opportunities. Uh, like uh, as we have dealt with the, the, the first issue that we dealt with in the pandemic was, well, how, how can we continue recruiting? We can't, we can't do job fairs anymore. Uh, we can't interview in person anymore. How are we going to continue hiring? Um, and we had been, toying with the idea and even experimenting with the idea of virtual interviews and virtual hiring and some of those types of practices. And so uh, we moved those practices into rapid adoption, kind of like we also did uh, with telemedicine clinically. And so using using the crisis to advance some good new ways of of working and connecting. And in 2020, we ended up uh, about 20% increase year over year in, in the number of hires because we were able to rapidly move into a, a virtual hiring environment. Wow. That's so, so uh, seeing crisis as opportunity, I think is um, one of the things that, um, that we've, that we've worked on doing. And another example of that, initially we had to furlough uh, quite a few people mm-hmm. uh, and we've been historically a, an organization that takes care of our people in unique ways. And so we went to our foundation and said, would you fund for us a restoration pay for those that are on furlough so that they could continue to receive their pay? Well, about 95% of those people that were furloughed are still with us today and back and actively working. Wow. Uh, and so it, so crisis and times of trauma are disruptive. And I, d- I don't want to minimize that. It causes us to have to think and work in different ways. But it can also be opportunities for us to minister to each other and take care of each other in ways that we had not envisioned before. And that, in the end, is what our core mission is really all about. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it also presents an opportunity to kind of realign ourselves to our mission and and really highlight what do we value. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of brings us back to that. What's your why? What's the calling? What was that original you know, heartfelt tug that each individual had to serve and to be a part of this ministry. And, and I think, I think that's happened, not just for me, like, it's not a unique experience. I think that's actually happening for um, our people in, in the ministry as well. You saw this initial response uh, of our caregivers where they, they literally ran to the crisis and Mm -hmm. into uh, caregiving uh, while everybody else ran home to isolate. It was this. Um, it was this amazing thing to watch. The courage uh, of of the caregiver, I think, is something that nobody talks about. But it was just. It was just amazing to watch. Uh, they rose to the occasion and, and ran to uh, the point of most danger because that's where they were needed to take care. That's where their care giving skills were just needed, um, and did it without question. So it clarifies for you why am I here and what's important to me, mm-hmm. um, and how do I play a meaningful part in contributing to the good of others. One of the, one of the values we talk about in the ministry is, is the common good, you know, and, and uh, caring for the communities we serve. 
And you saw, we saw example after example of, of people doing that over and over again. And I think people are reevaluating what's important to them on a personal level as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the work-life balance, um, family orientation. I think, uh, I think this has been a time of winnowing and clarifying our own priorities. Uh, do I live to work or work to live? And the answer is probably actually uh, a little different. Uh, you know, I think we've even redefined the question. It's now, it's now well, I want to make sure that I'm working with purpose um, and that I'm living in a meaningful way. And I, I think the American workforce has moved from being industrious or productive as, as its paramount value to, no, I, I want to do something that, that matters and something that makes a difference. Uh, I, think that's fun, I think that's fundamentally healthy. It's the new productivity. Uh, so it's been a time, I think, for me personally, where, you know, I reflect that, where I've been able to reflect on, okay, what's important to me personally and how do I add value in serving others? But I think, I think all of us have, have done that to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, as it's been 20 months or so um, of just the same thing over and over again, especially for our frontline workers, I mean, it's just been exhausting. And I think that returning to that question of why am I in this role serving, um, going back to what was that calling that you had can be sustaining through the burnout, through the exhaustion, through the days that you just want to quit. And Heather, you know, our caregivers have always been torn between uh, caring for others to the point of self-sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that that we've been working for is caring for ourselves so that we can care for others. And I think that too has taken on kind of a renewed focus in this time. Now, caring for yourself looks, looks like um, taking meaningful time off, uh, watching for signs of stress and fatigue and burnout, and just uh, taking care of your mental health um, and maintaining psychological safety. Right, mm-hmm. nurturing relationships that can restore your, um, you know, that can re- return you to your fundamental state. So, uh, I think, uh, and you're 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 actually going to see a ministry goal, like one of our incentive uh, goals for our incentive plan next year, is really built around four or five things that we're going to do to help our entire workforce focus on resiliency, mental mental health, and wellness. And uh, some of those things that, that have really embattled them for, you know, that have become embattled issues for them over the long haul so that, so that they can care for themselves in those ways as they continue to care for others. We don't want them to burn themselves out. This is going to be a marathon. Right. That's not our goal. Our goal is to create a, a workplace where um, they can receive trauma-based care. They can receive help that they need in order to continue to work. Um, we are in a staffing crisis that's of unprecedented proportions. If you ask me one thing that keeps me up at, right, up at night right now, it's staffing. I teased the HR team on Monday. I said, we have two priorities, staffing and staffing. <laughs> and, uh, and so we are doing everything, everything humanly possible. And even a lot of things that, that you wouldn't think, you wouldn't think are, are, are ordinary in order to try to get help and support and reinforcements, you know, uh, at the sides of our frontline caregivers, which, uh, you know, is our way of, of helping them, helping them to be able to, to sustain uh, their own calling. So, uh, so we're trying to help them by providing more 
uh, more people and more resources uh, for them to be able to do their jobs and um, and caring for their mental health and well-being while they're continuing what, what is now becoming a really long, hard go. We understand the specific challenges that go with you doing great work for our patients. That's why we're introducing Joyages, a customized emotional health management app for Bon Secours Mercy Health caregivers. The best thing about Joyages is that it delivers a customized experience designed to empower you to become happier in less than three minutes each day. The app encourages positive habit formation and mindset shifting. With customized assessments designed to alert you to mental risks, the Joyages app is a private, user-friendly digital life coach that helps you navigate life's toughest moments and build the resilience necessary to thrive. Search for the Joyages tile on Be Well, follow the instructions to download the app, and get going on your journey to greater resiliency. Mm, yeah, I've always been a walker. In the past 20 months, I've walked probably double or triple the amount that I would normally in like a 10-month span. This has just been my way of decompressing and avoiding that burnout and, and taking that break in the middle of the day or going for a really long walk at the end of the day. Um, so I'm curious to know, Joe, what are some of the self-care practices that you've implemented in the past 20 months? Well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned taking a walk. I read a study recently that said um, the effects of taking a walk, like uh, walking through particularly like a a place that has a tree canopy where you can smell the, si the, the sights and sounds of nature uh, triggers your parasympathetic nerve system. Mm -hmm. And so if you've been under a lot of stress and you're in fight or flight mode, it'll actually return you to, uh, to a more calm state where you can begin uh, creatively thinking and problem solving again, which are the things that get squeezed out of our lives when, uh, when we're, when we're under too much stress. Right. And so, uh, finding the practices that work for you. And some of mine are completely silly and some of mine are, are really substantive. For me, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a meditation practice called the daily office that I've used for a lot of years. And if I can do two a day, it's good. But when I get three a day, it just changes things. It centers me in a way. And it's a, it's just a very short time of prayer and meditation where I recenter myself. And, um, for me, that's one of my practices. That's a must have exercise used to not be I can remember as a young man, not thinking that was, that was super important. And, um, as I've hit this job and been in the stress of this role now for some time, uh, it's a must have, uh, it just, it just helps me, um, clear my head function, uh, in a way that, um, that makes me feel better. It also gives me enough energy to last through the day. Yeah. And so having enough energy to meet the challenges of the day, I think is really important. One that's just completely silly. Uh, during COVID, um, I'm an active water sports guy. Like I love anything on the water. Uh, during COVID, I actually got a season pass to Wake Nation Cable Park. And uh, I would go out and actually ride the cable. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, picture me on a wakeboard with, uh, with a bunch of 14-year-olds, like, uh, you know, sliding rails and and doing all of that. So uh, actually even uh, last time I was out with uh, some of the, some of the guys I actually ripped my, my shorts from top to bottom when I, when I <laughs> fell off a rail, um, which was rather embarrassing, but it was just a, it was just a fun outdoor emotional release. Um, nice time on the water, right? It, safe. You're able to be safe and socially distance. Uh, but at the same time, 
was a really fun outlet and a way for me to uh, continue to be active. But I think finding, you know, finding your outlet um, and then finding that set of practices that keep you in the best version of yourself. My, uh, uh, my last thought on this, my executive coach, uh, uh, you know, I asked him, uh, I said, you know, what are you seeing from other, from other executives during the pandemic? And he said, he said, well, we're seeing three responses. He said, we're seeing um, drunk, junk, or hunk. And he said, drunk, meaning they're leaning a little too hard on, on alcohol, right? Uh, yeah. Which isn't fundamentally sustaining, right? He said, you need to have happy days, but you need to have healthy days. Mm. Um, uh, junk, meaning they're just eating poor, eating poorly and are gaining a lot of weight. And he said, and then the other is hunk. And he said, those are people who, who probably are actually putting almost too much into uh, personal fitness, right? And mm. you've seen those studies that say that uh, you can actually have, you know, people who are um, really over-exercisers uh, can have a lot of blue days. Right, a lot of unhappy days if they don't get their if they don't get their endorphin fix, it becomes uh, an addiction for them. So, yeah, maybe the Greeks were right. All things in moderation, but <laughs> uh, but I thought that was a good little self exam. You know, am I uh, drunk, junk, or hunk? Right. <laughs> uh, so I've tried to avoid all three. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to use that one. Well, so. I think that self-care practices can help us to see little glimmers of hope or good in the midst of our days. Um, so share with us, if you would, just some of the small and big wins that you've seen in the past 20 months, whether it's personal or professional. So big wins, um, I've, I've mentioned some of them, um, you know, the record, the record number of hires. Um, I'm so proud of the way that our caregivers have responded. You see who people really are in a time of crisis, right? It, it, mm -hmm. it, shows, it shows who you are. Um, and so as our caregivers responded, I saw the HR function do the same thing. People really going all out to make sure that, that the restorative pay practice is in place or that PTO practices are in place or that people are getting their, the hardship benefits that they need or or that the leave and return to work processes are happening well so that uh, as people come in and out of uh, COVID illnesses, I'll tell you one, one win. At the beginning, we estimated that we would have over 200 associates pass away from COVID. Mm -hmm. That was our prediction based on uh, the, the statistics and uh, the, the mortality rate at the time. And sitting here today, having had two waves of it, not just one, you know, we have less than 10. Wow. Past. And all of them were unvaccinated, which is unfortunate, but, but, uh, week after week after week, our infection rate has consistently been lower than the infection rates in the communities that we serve. And that's true, Heather, even though, even though our people are more exposed to it than others, because a lot of them are in direct care and treating. So, uh, it was how well we've taken care of our people through this time uh, is really, um, you know, is really one of those bright spots for me that shows um, we got the the protocols around personal protective equipment and and vaccination and masking and those types of things right, so that we so that we took care of our people as they were as they were taking care of others. So that that's that's probably um, uh, one of my bright spots. That's huge! Wow. Yeah, uh, personally, like I've just had to learn how to do things differently. 
like a lot of our meetings now are, are by Zoom, right? That's offered advantages and has disadvantages. It doesn't replace personal contact. It's, it's helpful. It's better than a phone call, but it's still not the same as being able to read the body language of 18 or 20 people when you, when you put an idea out there in a group meeting, right? All at once. Um, and you still can't look another person in the eye. So right. it's just not quite the same. At the same time, it does provide you the ability to have meaningful contact with people that are pretty far away, geographically remote. Uh, we had an associate start last week and I randomly Zoomed him yesterday and um, just, just to just introduce myself and, uh, and, say, and say hi. That's not something I would have been able to do you know, without Zoom. So I've started uh, kind of a random Zoom practice to replace rounding. Uh, where I'll just, you know, I'll, if I see they've got a free spot on their calendar, you know, I'll just zoom them during that time and just, you know, and just check in and see how they're doing mm -hmm. on a personal level. So, um, so it takes a little bit of thought, but with a little bit of thought, you can adjust your practices in ways that are actually even more fulfilling. Now we do have to get together as people. And so one of the things I think you'll see us do over time is get better about bringing people together for fellowship, for relationship, uh, for strategy, you know, for alignment, uh, that is core to who we are. And we're made to live and work in community. Um, I really think that's the way we were, we were made. And so we'll continue to do that even as we work a little more efficiently uh, remotely over the long haul. So for, for each of us, I think those adaptations look somewhat, you know, look a little different. But with some thoughtfulness, I think you can make it even more effective. So that's that's the journey that we've begun as a, as a ministry together. Yeah, that's really cool. I have noticed that too. There's been some more um, in-person get-togethers that are popping up on my calendar. You know, the, the further we get along into this pandemic, and that's been, I think, a, a little glimmer of hope for me, a little spot of joy, just seeing it, whether or not I can go, just seeing that it's happening mm -hmm. gives me some sort of sense of relief and excitement for the fact that we get to see people in person again, give them a hug. Yeah. Um, I think that that's important. Well, thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate your time and your insight into just the past 20 months and finding joy in the midst of it and the big wins and small wins. So thank you so much. Absolutely, Heather. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for spending time with me. And I've enjoyed watching and learning from others as they've been on this journey uh, mm -hmm. as well. I'm borrowing practices from uh, my friends, my colleagues, uh, other caregivers, um, and so I'm very much a fellow learner on this journey to learning how is it that we adjust and adapt uh, to these new ways of, of living and working and parenting and doing all the things that we do. But um, I have hope that, um, that despite the difficulties, we can, um, with intentionality, make this better. Thank you for listening to the Be Well podcast. Remember, you can log into your Be Well account from home, work, or by using the Adoro app found on the Google Play Store or in the App Store. Visit bsmhbewell.com to access human performance coaching, well-being challenges, Be Well Live virtual events, and the most up-to-date information on program requirements and deadlines. For questions and technical assistance, reach out to the Be Well support team at 855-376-6474, weekdays 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks and be well.
The information presented in this podcast is strictly informational and not intended to be used for or interpreted as medical advice. Always consult your physician before making changes.